0: Well, this has been a weird break. It was only because of scheduling reasons, but... This is the first episode directed by James Conway since... Season 1. At least on TNG. He actually does several things over on DS9, and would continue to do things for quite a while. In fact, he has a hell of a laundry list. He does Duet uh, and For the Cause over on DS9. Death Wish on Voyage or Damage on Enterprise. Good stuff. Good stuff. He's a talented director. And you could tell, and that's a good thing, because the first episode he directed for Star Trek was Justice. That's the Hitler Sex Planet episode, if you don't remember the name. Anyways, <clears throat> so here's another example of, Oh God, we need an episode, any episode, quick, give us something. And this is what we got as a consequence of that. Like I've said before, this is pretty normal. All things considered, especially when they get to the end of the season, They're having budget issues. I point this out, though, because... Well, I've been pointing this out as we go, mostly in the sake of bad episodes for the most part. But every now and again, we get one that's actually pretty good. And I do rather like this episode. I've heard some people say that this is the best Braga episode. Now, I will say this is Brennan Braga in his element. Not mind games. Although he tends to be associated with mind game episodes because of episodes like this. But... Uh, Braga's all about concept. He likes to take an idea and just kind of run with it in a direction. That's his big shtick. Uh, we've actually already seen this with cause and effect. We will say this not too long from now in uh, Timescape. You know, that's just kind of his thing. And honestly, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again, Voyager was very damaging to him as a writer. Since they basically forced him to churn out episode after episode after episode rather than trying to help him hone and refine his techniques as a writer. From what I understand, after he finally bowed out of Star Trek during Enterprise's run and started doing other things, he's actually grown again, so, you know, who knows, but anyways. So, we find out that there's acting troops. Of course there are. Now, this isn't new. We have already known Beverly does this whole acting thing. I am the very model of a modern major general. Yeah, I remember that episode disaster if you don't but again it goes back to that whole apartment complex thing the idea that you know they have a crew of people who act. I, I mean just that doesn't, doesn't that sound awesome your neighbors are putting on a play and one of them comes over and says hey do you want to play in this play oh, god that just sounds so much fun anyways the teaser is very strange because the teaser is he's reciting his lines and he's reciting his lines and then he sees someone And he acts weird to this guy. But we've never seen this guy before. Now, that's the main guy, the main villain. But it's just some dude, and we're just like, okay. dun 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 -dun -dun -dun. Like, who is this person? There's no context here. Now, I'm going to go and share something with you. And I am really curious how many of you noticed this when you watched this. Like, I know a lot of you watch these episodes with me. How many of you noticed this? (sighs) There's no exterior shots of the ship in this episode until the very end, when Riker is freed. Now, historically speaking, by this point, I've actually already brought this up, because this is a trick that's used several times on Star Trek. But it's always amusing to me, because it's surprisingly subtle, and it's the kind of thing that you don't really pay a lot of attention to until it's brought up, and then you're like, oh yeah... Because usually there are establishing shots. They're usually very brief. Three, four seconds, or long enough for a captain's log, and that's it. But there's nothing in this episode, which makes sense. It's all in Rector's head. Anyways. So, we find out that there's a government breakdown, and that the Federation is pulling out completely. Uh, Okay, yeah, that does make sense. I, I can't actually fault the Federation on that one. When you're having this level of anarchy, that's probably not a terrible idea. Maybe refugee support, medical aid? I don't know. There's something they could do. Whatever. This then leads to Worf describing the whole thing. And the first time, the episode kind of seems weird. Because Worf is acting just a little bit off. And then he accidentally cuts Riker. Now he immediately flips out like, oh god, I'm so sorry. And Riker's like, no, no, it's okay. And it's a cut right over here. Get used to that. So then we get to the guy who is just staring at Riker. The guy who was injured, you know. Now, that's just off as well, but here's a question for you. Just a random question. If there's a major medical emergency on the Enterprise, why not just beam straight to the to the med, med bay? Sick, sick bay, excuse me, sick bay. Just, just, bzz, bzz, seconds. <laughs> you know? I, I mean, it's actually kind of weird to me that they bothered to carry this guy. Anyways, moving on. So, Troy... Troy says, it's okay. Explore some of the darker sides of your psyche. Now, okay, this is not Troy. None of these characters are these characters, right? We've already established that. All of this is in Riker's head. And all of this is Riker's attempt, his subconscious's attempt, in order to keep him sane, to keep him grounded. Okay, makes sense. But still, the fact that Troy is giving a member of the Enterprise crew the advice to explore darker emotions is very funny considering that we're not that far off from descent and that's not in anybody's head as much as some people wish it were anyways so then this leads to i'm not crazy i'm not crazy and he kind of curls up on the wall now this is still during his per- his his performance of the play or rather, his memory of his performance in the play. Look, I, I don't want to preface every single thing I say with in his head. So can we just bracket in his head? Just just pretend, okay? We're going to do a, a thing. Riker does a sequence from the play. There you go. You got it. Perfect. Thank you. So Riker's performing at the play. And, I mean, we've all been there, right? We haven't all been there You've never done a thing where you just kind of curled up in a ball, whispering, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. No? Okay. Well, that, I guess that's just me then. <laughs> <laughs> ah, this then leads to the first scene where he's crazy. Now, I've talked about the three types of tension building when it comes to fiction, but to rehash these very quickly. So here's the audience. Here's the character, right? So sometimes there, there's something wrong. Sometimes the audience knows something wrong and the character knows. That, that's a type of tension building. Sometimes the audience knows and the character doesn't. This is actually a fairly common type of tension. And sometimes the character knows and the audience doesn't. And that's another type. You with me? This is audience knows, character does not. Is what this is a, is a textbook example of. Because we've been watching Star Trek for the better part of six years at this point. We know that that's William T. Riker, and that he's not crazy, and he's not some alien who killed people. We know this. This is absolutely certain. No one had any question about this when watching this episode. So, we know something's up. This then helps to serve to construct the narrative of the mystery. Because it's not about, oh God, is he really Riker? That's that's not a question. It's even on the table. It's more about, why is this happening? The what is is actually kind of tangentially related, but it's mostly about the why, which we do actually find out at the end. Now, this then leads to the uh, several scenes which are, let's just be honest with ourselves, creepy as hell. Walking through the corridor, unusual camera work... Uh, screams in the distance. Can I just say the music actually works for once in this episode? I tried to look up who the composer was for this episode. I didn't find a good list. And the only way to check manually would be to check every composer and check their listings, and I didn't care that much. So I didn't. (laughs) Sorry. I probably should. Now I feel bad. Hang on, hang on. Maybe it'll be in this. I really doubt it, but you never know. Nope, yeah, I didn't think it would be. <sighs> whoever you are, Mr. Mister- you know what, I'm going to look it up. Screw it. I have a theory uh, that I know who it is, because I feel like I recognize the style of it. Give me one second. Either way, whoever it is, they do a really good job with it. Which is actually quite impressive, given the fact that this is not, you know, the good era of music at this point in time. But instead, just kind of the... It is, it's Jay Chataway. I was right. Now, Jay Chattaway can do decent music. I, I, I don't, I've said this before, I don't actually hold it against him. The problem is he is usually directed to make what, is what I call wallpaper music, which is admittedly a term I get from zero punctuation. It's just wallpaper paste. There's nothing special, there's nothing flashy about it. It draws no attention to itself, it's just there in the background, and it's boring, and it's dull. It's not his fault, though. Episodes like this help to showcase why. And I'm actually happy I noticed his style. I was right. It is actually Jay Chataway. Because the music is used to really good effect here. He has like a motif he uses throughout the episode. But they either do it in a uh, what I believe is a lower key or a higher key. I'm probably using the wrong terminology here. Basically, there's a song that sounds normal. And then every now and again, it'll slip into... And it'll actually sound... Slightly worse and slightly off-key. Just a little bit. It's not actually off-key. But it goes down just a little bit, the way it's presented. I'm probably using all the wrong terminology. Do you know I actually make music, and I don't even know the terminology for doing it? I'm not even kidding. (sighs) I used to play instruments, too. Point being, he does some good stuff with that. To differentiate between when things are normal and when things are not. And it's really good. And I wanted to give special praise to that. So then uh, he goes to the common room, and he meets the Borg Queen. It's good to know that she's there. You know, don't let them tell you you're crazy. Hang on, I need to contact the mothership. I don't have a spoon handy, but she holds up a spoon. We need, to, we need to go. You don't understand. We found another Starfleet officer. One of the easiest ways to convince you you're crazy is to have someone try to convince you that you're not crazy, who is obviously crazy. It's actually a really common technique when it comes to fiction. So then he's like, no, I didn't kill that man. No, no. He says it really weirdly. This is probably, oh, excuse me, on Attack. This is the only scene in the entire episode that doesn't work for me. It's actually a really good episode. I really like this episode. And I'll talk about some of the fundamental reasons why later. But that, no, is just really cheesy and dumb. So then he goes through the first loop. And he wakes up on the ship. He's like, okay, I'm going to perform. I'm going to perform in the play. It'll be, it'll be great. This this kind of helps to tie things up a little bit. It's a dream. Okay, that makes sense. Sure, no problem. This then leads to elements from the other, fa- the other dream, because they're both dreams. They're both fake. Uh, the other fake area starts to blend with the first fake area. So we've got the Enterprise fake, and we've got the Mental Institution fake, and they start to blur a little bit in the second loop. And this then leads to Crusher giving the second piece of evidence in this episode. I actually already mentioned the first one. Uh, the first one was the fact that these people have have a self-destructed government, and some of them are resorting to using torture to gain information in order to gain an edge in the conflict. Yeah, they just put that right there at the beginning. Crusher then says... The mind, under extreme stress, can manufacture anything to help cope with it. So there's the second piece of evidence. I'm, I I guarantee that was done on purpose, knowing Braga's style. So then, well, this is I have to admit something. I usually don't like these kinds of episodes. Is it real? Is it not? What's the fantasy and the reality? <laughs> It takes something special for it to work for me, usually the specific execution and presentation, which oftentimes comes down to acting and directing. But I do have to admit, one of the things... This episode actually is a good example of one of the reasons why I dislike this kind of thing in fiction. It's because fiction has the ability to perfectly control your perception. What I mean by that is if a director... Let's say the script says, Riker walks down the corridor, but then he sees blood on the walls... Well, you know what you do as you're creating the television show is you have the set, and then you have people splatter blood on the walls, and then you film it. So what we, the audience, are seeing is blood on the walls of the corridor. It looks completely normal and ordinary because it is. It is literally exactly like any other episode. This is even more true when it comes to cartoon or CGI works, where they can just change whatever however they want to. They have control over what we perceive and therefore will portray things that probably shouldn't be portrayed as straight as straight. If you all chance you don't know what I'm talking about, how many of you have ever had really realistic dreams? OK Now, bonus question: How many of you could tell you were dreaming even in those dreams? And usually this is referred to as lucid dreaming, but you probably know the feeling because your perception doesn't work the same when you're dreaming. Literally, at every level, your sense of motion and tactile, your sense of hearing, your sense of sight, all of it works completely differently. The more lucid you are in a dream, in my experience, personally at least, although I I do know this is backed up by some research as well in other people's accounts, the more lucid you are, the more you're aware that you're actually asleep, which means you are aware that your eyes are closed and that you can't move. And so in the dream, you kind of feel sluggish, because you can't move. And it's so hard to tell where everything is, so at most, you can only focus on, like, one thing at a time. Like, imagine everything's just this big black mass, and there's, like, you know, the bicycle right there, or whatever, right? But they don't do that in fiction. In fiction, it's just, it's a set, like any other set. And that irritates me. Moving on. So, this then leads to this really good scene. Where Frakes is just, get me out of here! He just yells it at the top of his lungs. That's not the good part, although that's very convincing. But then he kind of like slumps up against the wall and just very pitiably, very quietly whispers, help. Help me. Yeah, I've been there too. I imagine some of you have too. Frakes does a really good job in this episode in general. Like a really Really good job. This might be the best acting job I've ever seen him do. And that's funny, because usually I think of him more of as a great director than a great actor. This kind of shows some of those chops if he decided to go into acting large-scale, which obviously he didn't, but yikes. Whew. <laughs> so then we see pieces of, of fake Riker's... Oh, hang on, hang on. We see pieces of Riker's con- uh, consciousness. There you go, you remembered. Um, and they are representing different aspects of him, Troy being his emotion or or vulnerability or whatever, Worf being his aggressiveness, Picard being his thoughtfulness. It's actually very well done, mostly because of the the way they portray it. They just kind of jump back and forth between the three of them very quickly and efficiently. Now, what I like about it is they describe (laughs) parts of an event that actually happened, him getting jumped in the alleyway. What I also like is that they didn't walk forward and say, You, uh, you're in danger. Something bad is happening and you need to deal with this. I like to think that that's literally his subconscious, basically straight up talking to him, being like, look, your mind is being attacked right now, dude. (laughs) Just letting you know. So, the audience gets a nice red herring. This is actually probably one of the more clever bits of the episode. We know it's fake. We know everything so far has been fake. Like I said, audience knows, character doesn't. Then, for the first time, the episode seems to portray itself straight. If you'll notice, there's no real big jumps or weird moments. Instead, Crusher shows up, insisting that she's infiltrating. Then she leaves after saying a lot of things that make a lot of sense. Then he's in his quarters, and Worf and Data come in to rescue him. All, whoops, sorry, sorry. All of this makes perfect sense and lines up very logically. It's a perfect red herring. We are now, at this point, being led to believe that Riker's been in this facility, being, you know, mind-altered and, and brainwashed and drugged and whatever else, and now the Enterprise crew is trying to rescue him. Not only does that make sense, but of course they would try to rescue him, for God's sakes. So, <clears throat> This then leads to the escape sequence, where he fails at escaping. However, they then manage to re-escape him and drag him up to the bridge. Or, excuse me, up to the sickbay. Now, what's amusing is the only reason this fails is because of that thing with the temple. Because it just keeps hurting over and over. And no matter how many times she heals it, it just keeps bleeding. Now, I like what Riker does next. Granted, this is all subconscious, metaphysical, whatever. He grabs a phaser, and Picard says, Okay, you know, if if you, if you this is a dream, obviously that phaser isn't going to do anything. But if it isn't, you're going to hurt someone. Now, he doesn't say that, but he implies it. Riker agrees, you're right. And again, he doesn't say it, but he could never bring himself to fire on Picard just on the 0.1% chance that that's actually Picard. He can't do that. So he shoots himself. Now, I know that sounds really dark, but that makes so much sense. It is so logical. It is the perfect way to try and resolve this particular paradox. If I'm right, this won't do anything, other than try to fix the situation. If I'm wrong, the only one who gets hurt by it is me. Very logical, very Will Riker. I love that. So then, we see the first shadow. There's four total, I counted. And he shatters the other guy... And then he shatters the background, and the audience is is going, yes, and he's like, no, no, and he freaks completely out as he interacts with the one real guy who's trying to interact with him and and probe his brain. finally gets up, nice little touch, grabs his communicator, Worf, get me out of here, emergency transport. Less than two seconds, he's gone. For once, they were on the ball with an emergency transport. (sighs) Then we get a shot of the Enterprise, first one of the episode, because now we're back in reality land. So, you know, the pieces were all there, like I mentioned. The the temple bleeding, the infiltration, and the torture thing, the mind making up stuff. I do have to wonder why they didn't just scan for the only human down there and beam him up. But whatever, we'll assume there's some reason for it. And then he goes, and I have to, but I legitimately laughed, because I forgot about this scene. He goes to strike the set. Quick segue. Um when I first got into theatrical stuff and television stuff, I figured striking the set was like, you know, breaking it down so you could use the parts later. Half the time it's just taking a literal sledgehammer to things. And I was like, wow, that's so weird. And then I started watching, like, video documentaries of, of the making of movies, and they do the same de- thing with movies. They, they actually go in there with a, what do you call it? The wrecking ball sometimes, just to strike the set. That's, that's resources that you could reuse. Whatever. <clears throat> Anyways, I just thought I'd mention that so he goes to strike the set and I'm like okay cool and then he grabs parts of it just start ripping it off screw you you stupid setty and again his body language gets across how much he just wants to tear this thing to shreds with his bare hands I'm with you buddy good 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 episode good episode but I want to add one last thing obviously it was all just to dream episodes or maligned for a good reason I think this one works for several reasons. It is is several insights into Riker as a character and the way he centers himself, the way he considers himself in relation to the other characters, even though we don't see them for almost the entire episode. We see how he thinks of them. We see how he uh, portrays the interaction between them, which is good. In addition to that, there's a bedrock to the episode. I actually checked my calendar. Uh, An episode I've already recorded will be going live the the June previous to this. Let me get my tenses correct. So from your perspective, you saw it like a month or two ago, right? But that was an episode far beyond the stars over on Deep Space Nine. And I mentioned right at the end there, among the other things I had to talk about, <clears throat> that one of the things I didn't like about that episode was the was it real or was it not thing that they pulled right at the end. Now, nah, Because I don't like that. I like there to be a bedrock. I like there to be an, uh, uh, an absolute that sits underneath things, that this happened or this did not happen, and things to be explainable and understandable, right? Which this episode does. Even though the episode pulls the is it real or is it not thing, it doesn't really, because the moment you actually get to real- reality land, it never tries to pull anything again. It is very clearly we are now actually in events actually happening. The end. And I, I prefer that. In fact, I like that approach. And that's how I can deal with something like this. They did this before in, uh... not Starship Mine. What's the episode with Crusher? With the bubble? Uh, Remember Me. That's the name of it. I couldn't think of the name of it. Remember Me is a good example of the same concept I'm talking about. So, anyways, I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts on this interesting and, I think, enjoyable episode. Certainly not my favorite Braga episode. Probably, I'd say, my third or fourth favorite. Either way, I will be seeing you guys next time.